The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome everyone to the Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. In this episode, we dive into the topic of gender creative parenting. We go deep with Dr. Kyle Myers, who opens up about her experience in raising her child without gender. Dr. Kyle Myers is a sociologist, award-winning educator, and globally recognized advocate of gender creative parenting. Kyle's TED Talk, Want Gender Equality? Let's Get Creative, encourages people to rethink childhood gender socialization in an effort to break up the binary before it begins. Kyle is the creator of www.raisingzuma.com, the Raising Zuma Instagram account, and the author of Raising Them. Kyle has been featured in articles in international media, including New York, Huffington Post, UK, and Mamma Mia. Kyle lives with their family between the US and Australia. I hope you enjoy our chat. Kyle Myers, thank you for joining me on the Fanny Mechanic Show. I've been uh, hanging to actually talk to you because I've read your book twice now, and uh, it has it is really one of the best books I've ever read because it really challenged me and made me think in such a different way. Um, and I'm telling everyone about it. I feel that anyone who's considering being a parent should read this book, but even pe- people who aren't considering being parents read this book. Um, it was published in 2020 and I wanted to read um, a paragraph from your book that really got me hooked on page three. Uh You've written, I've come to understand that gender is one of the strongest predictors of health and economic outcomes, and it's not because of the anatomy someone is born with. It's because of the social pressures, expectations, stereotypes, and restrictions people and systems put on those bodies. From the day a child is born, they are treated differently on the basis of a gender assignment, even though children with vulvas are remarkably similar to children with penises. A cultural norm of biological essentialism leads to children being given different names, different clothes to wear, different toys to play with, being described with different adjectives, being given different opportunities and being pushed towards different destinies. Too often assignments and assumptions are wrong and individuals have to fight to be recognized for who they really are. And when I read that chapter, I thought, I have to finish this book. Mm. (laughs) I'm so... I'm so glad that that means a lot to me. I'm, I've got a big smile on my face. So can you explain to our listeners, how is gender different to sexual orientation? Because I think a lot of people get confused by terminologies and meanings. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think gender is such a huge and complicated concept, but in an attempt to try to answer it fairly simply, Gender is a social identity and a way that societies often categorize people according to the cultural norms, right? And like gender looks really different across time and place, right? Like gender, how it's experienced in Australia might be different than how gender is experienced in Afghanistan and and also across time as far as like 
how women today are experiencing gender, their great, great, great grandmothers may have experienced womanhood dramatically differently, right? Like not even being able to mm. vote type of differently. So I think gender is just so, so evolving, um, but it's also in everything. And so um, when I think about gender, right, I do think about this like social system that really tries to categorize people based on their bodies and like, oh, well, you do this and you do that. But gender is also just so related to our own personal identity and how we feel about ourselves and how conforming or non-conforming we might be to the to the gender norms, right, of like the culture that we are um, part of. So whether we feel like boys, girls, women, men, non-binary, uh, genderqueer, or another gender identity identity is really up to individuals to determine, but we often, I mean, virtually all of us get assigned a gender, right? And then we either fit that yeah. or, or we don't. Um, and then, and then sexuality relates to our feelings of sexual attraction and desire and who we want to have romantic and sexual or family forming relationships with. And I heard a really good quote years ago, and I don't know who said it, but I like it, that gender is who we go to bed as, and sexuality is who we go to bed with. Ooh, I like <laughs> so, that. Yeah, I just <laughs> like that, you know, like just kind of where um, you're kind of situating thinking about gender and sexuality, right? And there, it's all... Um, yeah, like kind of beautifully holistic, right? That like you can't look at somebody and know their gender or their sexuality, right? That's right. And then there are some people who are not attracted to anything. Exactly. Or anyone. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Um, now, can you explain the terms cisgender, transgender, and non-binary? I mean, obviously, you know, the beauty about, um, you know, the the movement that you're behind is that everyone is actually getting educated about these terms, I feel. And in my practice, I've now changed all my forms so that they're gender neutral. Um, but it was a really kind of tricky thing to um, to do. Um, mm. Can you go into these terms and, and any terms that you think everyone should know? Mm. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think that um, in, in the – the business of reproductive health, right? Like it's so gendered and it's so womanized, you know, and motherized. So props to you for doing that. I think that that's really important work and very inclusive. And I'm so glad you did that. So cisgender means that the the sex and the gender that someone was a that someone was assigned at birth really lines up with the sex and gender that they identify as today. So if someone was, you know, they're born, they have a vulva, the medical institution assigns them their sex as female, their parents say, you know, this is our girl, we're going to raise her as our daughter. And then she grows up and she's like, I'm a woman, this all lined up, fantastic. That that describes the cisgender experience. A trans transgender means that the sex and gender someone identifies with now doesn't align with the sex and gender they were assigned at birth. And then non-binary means that someone's gender is between or beyond binary, man, woman, gender categories. Um, and and there's also within all of these things, right? Like these sub definitions, which is so incredible. Like I do this work. I've been, you know, teaching gender and sexuality for 
over 11 years and I learn new terminology all the time. And, and so I just think it's, what's most important is to just have an open mind about it, right? Like respect the labels that people say they want you to use for them. Right. And just kind of like, this is just going to evolve forever and ever and ever. And I think that that's really exciting. So, right, like don't pour the concrete around your knowledge around gender that you have today and think you've arrived because (laughs) there's going to be new language that (laughs) is, you know, that is introduced. And so I think that just just kind of like having a a grip on those concepts, though, right, of cis and trans and non-binary and genderqueer, I think is, um, it's important. But what's more important is just having just really respectful intentions, right? And, and just loving curiosity Mm. and, and Googling things that you hear and, and trying to learn, learn about them. Yeah. I agree with your, your slant on curiosity. If you approach things with curiosity, um, you know, and respectfully, um, then yeah, you can't go wrong, I think. Right. Totally. So Kyle, big question. What is gender creative parenting? Yeah. So gender creative parenting is a philosophy, a practice, a movement um, that really recognizes that gender is up to an individual to determine and doesn't need to be assigned. And so giving children autonomy to be able to explore gender, learn about gender in a really you know diverse way you know, trusting that this child is going to know who they are and will let us know, um, you know, probably around their time, they're three or four or five. And then it's also a movement that's focused on protecting kids from experiencing sexism and gender-based discrimination for as long as possible, right? There's so many gender stereotypes that children encounter, not only from the day they're born, but even in utero. So it's just really trying to disrupt that right and like how do you disrupt this intergenerational transmission of sexism so some tenets of gender creative parenting is that we we didn't assign a gender to our kid at birth and we didn't publicly disclose what our child's genitals looked like to people who didn't need to know so that they couldn't just like flip on you know a gendered script and interacting with with zoomer and we used they them pronouns for zoomer until he told us that he uses he, him pronouns right around his fourth birthday. And then we, we just really strived to create an environment where Zoomer learned about bodies and gender and sexuality in just really diverse, inclusive, positive and equitable ways. And so those, that's kind of gender creative parenting in a nutshell. And what I loved about reading your book is that the whole time I didn't know um, you know, Zoomer's genitals, I didn't know how they identified and it actually didn't really matter because mm. the, the book was so, uh, was focusing on other important things around that and uh, that's what I found was amazing about your book is that, it, you know, you, you, it didn't matter what Zoomer was. Zoomer's a kid, a child, a person and, yeah. and that's what I loved about it. You, you did that so well. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. I think that's it's it's funny though because different people have different reactions, you know, of like, you know, some people are like, 
I just felt like the whole time that I was reading the book, I was just searching for clues, you know, of like, what would, you know, what mm. was Zoomer's genitals? What, you know, like, just like anything I could pick up <laughs> on, you know, and it just, so it's just, you know, which I guess, you know, is, it, it, that really speaks to, you know, like how our brains do try to kind yeah. of like tap into this script, but I'm, I'm so glad that it's like, yeah, we can just focus on trying to love kids for who they are instead of like how much they conform to whatever the the flavor of gender stereotypes are you know of mm. the year yeah so then why did you write the write the book raising them it was it was for zimmer wasn't it yeah yeah like so I had been a public advocate for gender creative parenting since Zoomer was born in 2016 because there just weren't public advocates. Like I knew of two families who had, you know, done this. They had each done like one news interview and nothing, you know, like, and, and that's totally on them, right? Like you don't have to do gender creative parenting and like get on a platform and like talk about it because it's actually, um, really intense because like parenting and gender are these like controversial topics. And so you're really setting yourself up for a lot of online harassment and it's scary. So I get, I get that now that I've done it, but when, so I decided to like start a blog and an Instagram account to be able to be kind of like a possibility model for people who might be interested in doing this and kind of helping people demystify it. And so that had been going on for a couple of years and then when Zoomer was two, we were one of many families who were interviewed for a feature article about gender creative parenting in New York Magazine. And because we had the public Instagram, when that article came out in New York Magazine, we got like plucked out of it by international media mm. and just got taken for a viral global media ride, which was awful. Yeah, I read that in the book and, and I thought to myself, wow, people can be so mean. Oh, they're so so mean. And I think, I mean, in a way I was quite naive to how media works these days that just like, it just, I mean, and now I understand it, right? Like, because you have these 24 hour news cycles, it's just like, they're just looking for anything, you know? So it was just, it was bonkers and we became clickbait. But Joey Soloway, who's the creator of the show Transparent, found out about us and got in touch with me to see if I would be interested in writing a memoir about our, you know, our life, our experience of doing gender creative parenting. So that's how like the book deal came about and the catalyst for me writing, raising them. But I really did want to, to share our story, like, you know, kind of like for ourselves and our own community, but, but also to, like take control of our story back, you know, from like kind of how it was ripping through the news and really help people understand that gender creative parenting is totally possible. And in our experience has been incredibly positive and, and I've been able to see that it works, you know? And so I just, it just felt like such a, honor to be able to write our story, you know, and to be able to get it out there because I now hear from people. I mean, I hear from people, I would say on average, at least once a week, a new family who's like, we are, we're going to do gender creative parenting. And like your book helped us know about it, give us a language and framework for it, helped us, you know, talk to our families about it is helping us talk to 
our birth team about it. You know, I mean, it's just like, I just feel so honored that our book has been able to be, to to become a resource for other families. A big part of why I wrote the book is because I wish I had a book like Mm. this, (laughs) you know, Mm. when I was just like figuring it out and just pregnant with just tons of anxiety about like, what the hell are we doing? It just, I think a book like this would have put my mind at ease quite a bit, you know, of like, it's possible and there's a community out there. And so that's just been really incredible. Is there going to be another um, book coming up anytime soon? Different book about something else? I would like, so I would like to write kind of like the sequel because Raising Them covers kind of like my backstory and in pregnancy and then like, you know, from birth to three years old with Zoomer. And it's really around like three and a half where stuff goes, gets so much more interesting, you know, when, you know, when Zoomer is talking back to me about the world, you know, and like how Zoomer is experiencing it. And, and when you, it was after Zoomer became verbal that you just could see that like, oh, this parenting worked, you know, Mm. like you're using, such inclusive language you you're three and you're saying you know that one of your lego is intersex you know, <laughs> you know like it it worked you yeah. know and so but but also it, it it also became so much more difficult in so many other ways because the external forces right become just you're competing with them so much more right like these preschoolers are very convincing to Zoomer about teaching Zoomer about the world, you know, and I'm mm. like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're undoing all of my work. You know? <laughs> so I would I would love to write another book because because over the last three years, we've been experiencing Zoomer identifying, you know, with, uh, with pronouns and kind of declaring a gender and going to elementary school and all this language. And, you know, so it's just, there's, there's been a lot that's happened in the last few years. So I would, I would be keen to write another, another book. Yeah. Because Zoomer Zoomer is now five, is that right? Right. Yeah. Almost five and a half. And so what, what have been the highs of, of gender creative parenting for you? Yeah. Sounds like there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, there's definitely more highs than lows. Um, I I mean, I think one of the biggest highs is just just the the validation that like it worked, you know, like I really was able to help protect my kid from experience as many gender stereotypes, you know, as I probably would have been able to do if I had assigned a gender and and just. I think because of doing gender creative parenting, it was just such a conscious, consistent commitment in my parenting practice that, um, yeah, I just, I just feel like it worked. And so that's just such a high, you know, to like, look at your kid and think like, I really hope that the foundation that I set in these first few years because that's when it happens for little kids. Like kids learn sexism and racism and mm. ableism. You know, they learn bias before they're five. And so I think, and then it's so much harder to unlearn, right? Because like these neural pathways are all set. And so I just think that it it was a lot of work, but it just feels like I I really hope that this sets him up for a life of an anti-sexist perspective, you know, and just an inclusive perspective. And that, um, that feels really, really important to me and just such a high, and also just the community, like 
the community has grown so much and it's just so wonderful. When, when Zoomer was born in 2016, you know, I'd be in a coffee shop and someone would be like, oh, you know, is that a boy or a girl? You know, as I got, you know, I have Zoomer swaddled up against me and, you know, I'd say like, oh, well, we didn't assign a gender. You know, this is Zoomer. They're 10 weeks old. We use they, them pronouns. And, and they'd go, what? You know, like I've never, what, what, what do you mean? You know, they, and, and, and then that has just changed exponentially over the last five years. Like everybody has heard of they, them pronouns Mm -hmm. for one person. And, you know, like non-binary identity just wasn't as mainstream in 2016 as it is in 2021. And so I just think that the reach and the community and social media, it's just like, I think I felt so fringe in 2016, you know, like here's this little movement and like, I hope, you know, I can keep the spark going to now. It's just like, Oh, this is happening. Like there are so many people who are doing gender creative parenting and it just feels really, really great to have been able to help normalize it that, that, and make others, other people's lives easier than ours was even just five years ago. So you've been in Australia since December of last year. Um, yeah. Has Zuma gone to school here? Yes, yes. He goes to kindergarten here. And how have you found the parents in his kindergarten? And, and have you educated people? Have you given, you know, the parents or teachers education, you know, sessions, talks about gender creative parenting? So yes and no. Like there was – so Zoomer – you know, said, you know, I'm a boy around his fourth birthday. And then we moved here. So that was in March of 2020. And we moved to Australia in November of 2020. And then he started kindergarten in February of this year. And so it was, it was almost like a big identity shift for me because I had been, right, Zoomer had been at this preschool, you know, since he was five months old. And so I had just gotten to know the directors and the teachers and the parents so well. And there was just this constant, you know, like proactive education and wonderful, like gender creative vibe going on there. And then, and then Zoomer declared pronouns. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna, it kind of feels like this identity shift of like, I'm still a gender creative parenting parent, right? Like the, those values haven't changed. My, my, practice hasn't changed, but Zoomer has arrived, you know, for now at a gender. And I want to really respect that. And it didn't feel, I wasn't going to go in and be like, you know, like I didn't want to like overstep my bounds as a parent, right? Like Zoomer is, he gets to be his own autonomous person. And so, so I did, it feels like my advocacy has moved above like Zoomer as the individual child and feels much more structural now. So, you know, you know, as I'm touring the elementary school, you know, knowing that like Zoomer, this is the first time Zoomer is going to even know that there's like a boy's bathroom Mm. and a girl's bathroom because that wasn't happening at preschool. There was just like one tiny, cute little potty that all the kids (laughs) used, you know, and now like he's being separated, you know, and and like, and he's going to want to do that. You know, he's going to, he's going to want to do that. And so, but then trying to advocate for the very real possibility that, well, if there's not non-binary kids at this school right now, there's going to be, you know? And so, so that, that kind of my, I think my advocacy kind of was like, you're fine, Zoomer, but I'm going to keep on advocating for things to um, not be gender segregated, you know, and 
to really try to advocate for this space to be um, welcoming for kids who are trans or non-binary, intersex, like, you know, and just, just, just kids to not be learning these sexist stereotypes. So that's been interesting, you know, like I know they put us in a kindergarten with the teacher that they felt was the most progressive, you know, and, (laughs) and I'm working a lot with not only our school's principal, but the ACT education directorate, because, um, they were separating the little kids by gender for like the sports carnivals. And I was like, Oh, for crying out loud, they're all five, six, seven. They're a hot mess running around Mm -hmm. this field. Like we, you know, like we don't need to be separating them by gender. Like they're pre-pubert, like they're prepubescent. And so that is something that I'm doing right now is working with the education directorate to, to kind of establish some guidance about like in primary school, you do not need to be separating kids by gender at all. Right. Like they they just do not have physical differences that would, that would warrant that um, prior to puberty, maybe right. Like for these kids who are in year like five or six, but, but not for kindy and first and second and third grade. So, so that's been really good and, and is being really well received. So I feel really lucky to be here where I don't feel like I'm some thorn in people's side. Like I feel like I'm presenting the data. It's what, you know, it's what I mm. do. I like, you know, kind of summarize scientific evidence to try to make a case for social change. And so I feel, I feel really um, like that's collaborative here. And I'm, I feel really lucky about that. And like Zoomer's off in the background and gets to benefit from this, right. As do all the other kids at maybe you know, at, at his school and hopefully all across the ACT, if we can get some of these changes done. Yeah. I was going to ask you how do Aussies compare with Americans in terms of their openness to gender creative parenting, or even, even your point about kids just, you know, competing together at, at that young age. Yeah, so we came from Utah, which is a pretty conservative state um, because there's a religious majority of of Mormons and they tend to be just, I mean, I grew up in the Mormon church, you know, and I have lots of Mormon friends and, and it is a religion that that loves the binary and you know there's a lot of biological essentialism there and so so utah was an interesting place because it was i mean we have some terrible like gender disparities like the like the worst pay gap in the country um but but the mormons also tend to kind of be like a a live and let live, you know, like for the most part. And so, and they're also very, very kind. And so even though like, if I was like, oh, I didn't assign a gender to my kid, even though they're like, okay, you're blowing my mind, (laughs) but I want to respect you, you know? (laughs) And so it was, it was a good, it was a good space to be, but I actually really love being in Australia. And I love being in Canberra because there is more diversity here. There does, it does feel, um, more progressive. Um, it does feel like there's just so much more um, intentionality around like LGBTQIA inclusion and support and social services and celebration. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been good. I, I think, I think both places have, you know, have their ups and both places have their, have their downs. And, and it just, it, it doesn't feel like I'm like a world away, you know, like there are the people from Australia who are like, 
you need to go back to where you came from. (laughs) We don't want you and your, you know, ideas here, you know, and then there's other people who are like, we're so glad you're here and are helping like move, you know, the gender movement along in this continent. So like there's, it's, it's been great. It's actually, it's, yeah, it's been really great. And like I said, I just kind of feel like, oh, I'm just starting to find like queer community here. I'm just starting to really find my groove and make friends and feel like I'm like really starting to make change and have made the connections that I need to, you know, and we're leaving. But I think that I feel invested in Australia because Brent, my partner is Australian. Zoomer is an Australian citizen and, you know, we'll be back, you know, we're trying to figure out how to split our time between both countries. And so I feel invested in like continuing partnerships here and continuing, you know, my work here. So that feels, it feels good. It doesn't feel like I'm just going to get up. That's great. Cause we need people like you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Now, how about like globally, uh, which countries, societies are making the most progress towards gender equality? How and how and why? Yeah. I always think Northern Europe, you know, Scandinavian countries, but I don't really know my data like you do, Kyle. So yeah. can you share that with us? Yeah, but I think you're right. So I don't think there's any country that's doing a perfect job, but there's lots of countries that are really starting to get on the right path. Um, and and like like you said, like Sweden, you know, Finland, like Norway, like there's can be there's a lot of like very great gender equity progress there. Um, and it's very intentional, right? Like it's it's legislated, right? Like it's it's really, really intentional, which is wonderful. And then I think in in countries like the US, you know, where I'm from, it's just it feels like there can be, we take one step forward and then two steps back. And, and so I think that we're headed in the right direction, but it's just this constant, you know, push and pull. Um, and it's just so much friction, even though like we're making progress, but it's just painful. Um, because like, for example, the U S announced that they're going to have, um, non-binary options for passports, but also happening in the U.S., we're currently dealing with the most anti-transgender legislation, mm. you know, in the states that have ever been introduced. And so there's just this constant pull and, you know, pull and push and pull and push. Um, and that changes, you know, from administration to administration. So and from state to state and, you know, community to community. But but you're right, like some countries like Sweden are doing really great in trying to normalize you know, gender neutral pronouns. And well, whereas other countries are like prohibiting the use of gender neutral pronouns in official documents. Yeah. I I saw something recently of like somewhere in France that was like, you cannot use the gen, like any gender neutral language in official documents. And that's like kind of backfiring on them. But, but like some countries are doing really good by having gender quotas in like public office or, um, like for public servants, right? Like you have to have at least 1% of your staff need to be transgender. And I think like, I actually think that gender quotas are really important for, right? Like really trying to create more gender Mm. diversity in spaces, you know? And then we've got other countries where it's just like, hello, we just got our first female vice president, you know? (laughs) Like, are you kidding? You know, like, so, Mm. so I think that we are collectively, moving in the right direction 
not nearly as fast as I'd like us to all be going, but, but, you know, like, like I had said, like, I'm kind of amazed at the progress that we've made in five years. And so I think that I, I'm looking forward to like being able to be this like old, old washed up person who's like ready to pass from my time on this earth and look back and see how far we've come, (laughs) you know, like since 1986 and my arrival. So yeah, I, I, Australia is doing great in so many ways and like has some room for improvement in others. You know, mm. So I think it's just, I think one of the most important things is just like, we have not arrived. Nowhere has arrived. You know, I hear so many people that are just like, there's no need for feminism. We've got gender equality. And it's like, no, we don't, you know, <laughs> like, no, we do not. If we don't have like paid family leave for all parents, you know, not just birthing parents, like, We've we've got a really really long way to go. You mentioned earlier pronouns, and your pronouns are they them, she and her, which are actually right. my pronouns too. And obviously, Zuma has uh, acquired uh, him and and they uh, do they use they as well? No, nah, he, he he loves the he him. He loves yeah. he him. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now, why should people respect another person's pronouns? Yeah. I think that respecting someone's pronouns is like an extension of respecting someone's humanity. And I, I had heard a good comparison. Like someone was like, just like it's really important to pronounce someone's name correctly, right? Like to Mm. show the respect that you, that you really want to get it right. Right. Because that's their name. And so you really want to get it right. So you, you want to pronounce someone's name correctly and pronouns are like, are like that, right? Like if your name is getting all slashed and if your pronouns aren't being used, right, like it just doesn't feel like someone's even talking to you or seeing you or respecting you. And so it's just such a, just such a symbol of just respect and dignity, you know, of, of using someone's pronouns. And it's so easy. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to do, you know, like, how people talk about all the time of like, you know, if, if all these people can just fall over themselves because they've accidentally misgendered a dog, you know, like (laughs) they can certainly get their coworkers pronouns, right. You know, like you can figure it out. And if you're not doing it, like you're garbage. (laughs) So, So no, so it's so important. And for people like me who, and you, who, use like a combination right of like they them and she her um it feels really important to me when people also use they them you know for me because so often people will use she her and while I don't mind that I it it's it just it just shows me that they're like acknowledging me and that they see me and that feels really important now gender reveal parties Mm. if someone who obviously wouldn't know you well enough, but say someone slipped you a, 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 a uh, an invite to their gender reveal party, would you go? No. <laughs> no, no one, no one, no one is accidentally sending me invitations <laughs> for gender reveals. <laughs> I, that's so, that's funny. I haven't been invited to a gender reveal party since 2015, you know? So, um, and that's okay with me. Like, I think we were, so gender reveal parties, I I actually, I, 
I don't go on like, like rampages on the internet talking about gender reveal parties, because I think if someone is throwing a gender reveal party, they just have a very different understanding of gender than I do. Right. And I just, but I think it is important that this conversation is starting and happening that what a gender reveal party really is, is a genital reveal party. Right. That, that's what's happening. Like you have either gotten like your, your genetic test back or you have gotten, you know, your anatomy scan and you have seen what you believe is a vulva or a penis. And so that's what you are announcing to your social circle, you know, is your child's genitals, but it doesn't gender reveal parties. Should we just start calling them genital reveal parties? The gender Mm. reveal parties, Mm. They just don't hold any space for the possibility that a child may be intersex or transgender or non-binary, right? And and even for children who, you know, who are not intersex, it's just imposing such restrictive gender stereotypes on a child before they're even born, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's kind of like this announcement of like, here's the half of the color palette that you can start buying for our kid. Here's the half of the toy store that you can start buying for our kid. Like here's the half of the clothes. And and it's just, even when I think we're so well-intentioned of like, no, no, no. Like, you know, I want to make sure my kid has it all. That's just like, it really is the social conveyor belt. And then the whole community is kind of on board of just like of treating kids, you know, like whatever these gender stereotypes are. So not to mention that gender reveal parties have just caused havoc over the last few years and, and killed people and destroyed thousands of acres of land. Right. Like there's like current, like, like there's fires that are burning in mm. California that are related to smoke bombs for a gender reveal party. Like there have been parents, like like dads have been killed preparing explosives for this gender reveal party. Oh, wow. And so I just think like, and that this is happening in America, like it doesn't seem to be the shit show in Australia, like because y'all aren't getting your hands on as many explosives as, <laughs> as Americans can. But like, I, it's just... It's a very new phenomenon, you know, like the gender reveal party really only came about in the last like 10 or 11 years is when it kind of got invented. And even the person who who is known for doing the first gender reveal party, um, her child is actually really gender expansive. And and so she has kind of come out and been like, uh, like. I wish I never started this trend, oh, right? Wow. Like I got it kind of wrong. Was you she know? an American? Like, yeah, she's American. She's like, I got it wrong. This whole thing has been like gotten out of control. I understand the nuances of gender better than I did 11 years ago, right? And like, I've got a kid who's like, I don't fit into like this like box that you like threw for me when I was, you know, in your belly. So yeah, like I mean, I'm all about celebrating new parents and a new baby. Um, you know, I just and I and I I understand, you know, that people feel they're they're grasping at things to be able to um, celebrate or right. Like we just we're, we we want so much information about our our little babies, you know, and so so 
genitals feel, you know, like, oh, like I know their sex. Therefore, it's kind of like we think we know so much about, you know, a kid or what their life might look like. And that can be just so limiting, right? For like actually being able to give your child the space to be able to like explore their interests, you know? So, oh yeah, I don't think they're going anywhere, you know, gender (laughs) reveal parties, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that dialogue happening and I kind of generally stay out of it, but, but. As I say, each to their own. Yeah, I really, I mean, parenting is bonkers, you know, and like, I am so not in the business of telling, trying to tell anybody, you know, as I said, when we just got on our call, I'm like, Zoomers at McDonald's, you know, (laughs) I'm sure there's like some nutritionist blogger who's like, Kyle's the worst. (laughs) But you know, McDonald's, uh, I used to have McDonald's every Saturday as a kid, we used to go shopping, it was one of the highlights of our Saturday. And I think the, the McDonald's that Zoomer is having today is way better than the McDonald's we had in the 80s it's going to be way more nutritious <laughs> well we'll see the all happy meal yeah <laughs> i don't know uh, yeah <laughs> the gender reveal uh party um topic kind of also made me think about what we do in ivf treatment so i'm an ivf practitioner and i'll have a lot of patients over the years who've inquired about sex selection Mm-hmm. And uh, in Australia, it's illegal to do sex selection uh, for non-medical reasons. So there are lots of people who say, oh, I've got two boys or we've got four boys, we want a girl. Uh, can you help us? And I'm like, well, not really. Um, but America mm-hmm. can because they do that in America. And, mm-hmm. and you know, here they are, these parents specifically intentionally creating embryos to select a chromosomal sex and then they assume that they, that 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 their child will identify concordant with that sex, i.e., you know, if they're putting back a 46XX embryo, that that, that embryo will grow to be a female. And mm-hmm. and what are your thoughts on that? On like sex selective IVF? Yeah. Uh, um. I mean, I'm not a fan, right? Like I'm not like, like just, so I, before, um, I've had a whole career in, in family planning. So in like contraception and abortion work. And so we were kind of on the other side of it with, with abortion work of sex selective abortions, you know, and that, that, you know, like the providers saying like, I don't know how to feel about this. Like, I don't, want to turn anybody away, you know, for, you know, something that they want, but just like, I just can't in good conscience, um, end a pregnancy just because, you you know, like, it's not the sex that they want, you know, but then at the same time, like, do you want a baby growing up in a, in a family that doesn't want them, you know, because of their sex or presumed gender, you know? And so, I think it's, I mean, I'm obviously like, like not a fan of like designer babies and, uh, you know, and not deciding, you know, trying to like decide what the sex is. But, but again, the people who are doing that are coming from a very different understanding of gender than I am. Right. Like to me, like it just didn't matter what Zoomer's sex was. I was going to raise them exactly the same way, you know, like it was, they were going to have the same wardrobe, the same toys. I was going to describe them with the same adjectives, take them to the same, you know, like activities. Like 
it did not matter what Zoomer's genitals were to me, you know, just like, because like, I don't know what Zoomer's gender was going to be. And, and I think that something that's so interesting about, about that, that I kind of, that I want to ask families, you know, like I have three boys, you know, like, I just want a girl. I just want a girl. And it's like, well, can you tell me what it is that you think a girl is going to bring to your life that like maybe the, the, the sons that you already have don't, you know, like, what is it? Because so much is we, we socialize children, right. Into certain things, you know? And so like, you know, maybe a mom will say like, I just really want like someone to shop with and go get pedicures with, you know? And it's like, cool. Your boys might really like shopping. Like there's actually like some really incredible fashion designers who are men. And there's a lot of men who love shopping and love dressing well, right? Like, if you just want to shop with a kid, that may be within one of the kids that you already have already. And why would you assume that just because you have a girl that she's just going to love shopping? There's lots of girls who don't want to go mm. shopping, right? So yeah, like, my sister hates shopping. Like, <laughs> yeah, like so it's like there's there's these projections that are put onto these onto kids. You know, and I and I see it all of the time, right? Where it's like boy, boy, girl, and or or girl, 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 boy. And then suddenly it's like, it's like the parents feel like they get to like finally tap into like the toys that they have been not been able to buy for their daughters. You know, and I talk about that in the book of like, I think someone had like three girls and like someone I went to high school with and then they had a boy and she was like, I'm just so excited. I finally get to buy like the Christmas train set because I have a boy. And it was like, holy shit, Mm -hmm. you know, like, your little girls have been missing out on a Christmas train set because you felt like, you know, a kid could only like a Christmas train set if they have testicles, you know, like what the (laughs) hell? So I think, you know, I think like when, when someone hears me say that they're like, Oh, well, when you put it that way, yeah. You know, but it's just like, there's so much that we put on boys. There's so much, so much femphobia, so much homophobia. Right. And then, and alternatively, we just put so much of that, like, feminine you know the stereotypes on on girls you know and so if you know a dad is like I just want I just want a son so I can have someone to you know play catch with it's like take your daughters outside and teach them how to play catch Mm. so you know I don't know I just I get that that's happening and that's like such a crux and of course I wish that we were beyond that you know but it is a very real reason of why people, of, of people's, you know, intentions, you know, and like, I, I mean, I know people who just keep trying and trying and trying to have a girl and, you know, and then they have that fourth son and they're just like devastated. Mm. And it makes me actually really heartbroken for that fourth son, you know, that just like, I cannot imagine like what that would feel like to go your whole life with like your parents, like saying, well, we kept trying for a girl, but Mm. we got, you know, and it's just like, gosh, you know, I mean, like, what does that teach your kids? Right. About like how important gender is, you know, and how different kids are by their gender. So I, I feel for, I mean, like, thank heavens, right. That you live in a country, right. Where you, because if that's your, their values of like, I don't want to help somebody do that and you legally cannot, you know, that's great. But there's a lot of people who are going to get on a plane and go to Mm. the States, the States to make it happen, you know? And, and that's, 
you know, like kind of, I, I, like I, I always do come back to like, I can't force people to do something that I wouldn't do or have a perspective that has taken me a lifetime to, to have, you know, but I, I do wish that just we as a, a culture would just cool it on our childhood gender socialization and just how much we box kids in, you know, and what we, and how much we want our kids to be for us, you know, like that is kind of wild. Yeah. I have a colleague who is Indian and um, she's pretty pro sex selection because as, as you probably know, in India, there's a lot of um, infanticide. So a lot of girls being intentionally killed because they're girls or, yeah. So anyway, that's another podcast. Um, You, you mentioned in your book, social conveyor belt. Can you expand on this? Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of touched on it a bit in our conversation already, but just like, like really from everything from like I'm trying to have, you know, a a baby because I really want a girl because I already have two boys, you know, like you're already turning on the social conveyor belt of like this path that this baby will go down. And, and the social conveyor belt is just really just from, from birth that these kids get given very different lives because of their anatomy and right like they get given different names so you know I mean it's just really common for someone to be like well if it's a boy we're gonna name him this and if it's a girl we're gonna name her this you know and it's just like oh that's that's really interesting like to me like Zoomer was named Zoomer before I was even pregnant with Zoomer like I just knew my kid's name was gonna be Zoomer and so and so you know, and then people will be like, oh, like, I, you know, they'll, they'll only, they want to know what the sex is so that they feel like they can buy clothes, you know, as if like a little neonate potato, you know, like <laughs> needs like a frilly tutu or like suspenders and a bow tie. But like, yeah, just this, like, it just never stops. It just never, ever stops. The, the bathrooms that people are told to go and the toys that they're given, the different adjectives that they're given, and then it all stacks upon each other. And it's like this great multiplier. Like, we know that your early childhood experiences really set the foundation for, like, what kind of interests are you going to have? What kind of hobbies do you have? You know, like, what kind of career you could even have, you know? And so we see all of these problems in adulthood that I can see the breadcrumb trail back to childhood, right? Like people are like, what are we going to do? Like we need more women in like engineering. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's like give girls robotics toys, Mm. give girls, right? Like pump them up about their math abilities, right? Like like math isn't some like innate thing, right? Like we can learn it, we can get better at it. And if we can encourage them, but there's just so much unconscious bias and explicit bias that is happening from everywhere, from like primary school, you know, and like extracurricular activities. That's just teaching children, like boys are different than girls. And and when in reality, right, there's way more variation among girls and among boys than there is between genders, right? Not to mention how many non-binary kids there are. So, so yeah, I just, I see it all the time. I see, you know, people like putting their children on this, you know, kind of like social conveyor belt and then 
wondering, right? Like, why do we have all of these terrible sexist outcomes and like gender disparities in adulthood? It's like, well, we've been, you know, like we, we, childhood is like boot camp for, (laughs) for adulthood gender disparities. So, I mean, that's kind of what I, what I mean by it, you know, is just like these decisions that we make that are scripted according to gender, right? Like how we'll even describe babies, you know, is just scripted according to like, well, is it a boy or a girl? Because I need to know if I say beautiful or handsome, you know, mm-hmm. like, and just, it's just, so the language that children are learning, the tones of voices, like how they're played with, it's just all because of their reproductive anatomy, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I mean, it just, it's all very silly to me, but but it just has enormous, enormous lifelong consequences. So tell us about Zuma today. Uh, what What is he like as a person? He's five? He's five. He's, yeah, he, he'll be five and a half next month. He is such a delight. I'm so glad I like my kid. I feel so <laughs> I'm glad lucky. I'm glad you too. <laughs> oh, and, but I also felt such pressure of like, we're doing this parenting, you know, this gender creative parenting. And it was just like, there was almost this pressure of like, oh my gosh, if Zoomer is, you know, like not fun. Oh, you know, I don't know just what, what pressure that like, no one deserves to have that, but he's, he's so silly. Um, he has a great sense of humor and he's just really, uh, such a delight. I feel so lucky, um, to be his parent. He's, He's an only child, so he's he's very attached to to Brent and me, and he's quite um, very sensitive and very in tune with his emotions, and um, can explain them very well. He has very big emotions, but he's he just has such diverse interests, which feels good and kind of feels like evidence of like the gender creative parenting of of he you know, he has his little cafe that he really likes and he really loves Play-Doh and he has his dolls and he has his Hot Wheels and he has his Lego and, you know, like he's Does just, he have Barbies? just all over the place. Oh, um, we have, we have Barbies Barbie. in Salt. Yeah, we have Barbies in Salt Lake and we just bought another kind of like a, like a Kmart version of a Barbie. <laughs> um, and yeah, so he's got, a, he's got, he's got some dolls here and, you know, we had to kind of like redo the toy box you know in Mm -hmm. in Australia so that's been fun and yeah he's started drum lessons at school um but getting him to practice is very hard five-year-old playing drums that'd be fun learning those lessons yeah he's got this little drum pad and his drumsticks and stuff but he's very into tech stuff so that is that is very different you know of like he asks us these questions like you know, he's like, what, what games did you play on your iPad when you were little dad? You oh, know? That is so, and, that is so cute. Yeah. And Brent's like, oh, we didn't have iPads, honey. Like, <laughs> we had, you know, he's like, we had Uno, you know, I mean, we were, <laughs> we did not have smartphones, you know, it's so, it's so cute. So no, he's just, he's, he's got his own little fashion sense. Like he has very specific dress sense. It's really quite funny. Like he wants like clothes that are 
kind of like fitted like fitted against his body like he likes really short shorts he <laughs> like wants t-shirts like like he he's so funny we were like it's freezing outside he's like gotta wear a t-shirt four <laughs> shorts and crocs <laughs> yeah so yeah he's he's very much his own person and um and it's so wonderful to see his um how how gender creative parenting has worked like he drew this picture of, of like a this like stick person who's pregnant and then there's like a baby in a crib and you know he's got this drawing of a little baby in this pregnant person's belly and and I was like oh tell me what's going on here and he's like so this is like a this is a daddy and he has a baby in his tummy and and that's his other baby and this is the ghost that's coming to help take daddy to the hospital to have his his baby a ghost. you know yeah the ghost wow yeah. the, not, the, not a doula the, there was no doula in there yeah <laughs> the ghost the ghost doula yeah <laughs> but that you know that like that feels so good right that like there's no way I was doing that when I was five years old you know I didn't know a single you know trans man who was having a baby you know like like and so but that is part of zoomers right social awareness you know of like he is he, he is aware of men who have had babies and mm. so that if in his imaginative play in his pretend play that that is just that's this normal occurrence right like some daddies have babies some mommies have babies some zazas have babies that like to see that show up is really really uh rewarding you know, I love your um your birth plan for Zuma. Can you explain to our listeners a bit about your birth plan? Oh yeah, and that and that. Long story short, like, aren't birth plans cute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was um doing a lot of delivering of babies, we always used to kind of have a bit of a chuckle around birth plans, and it was only ever first time parents that had birth plans. You wouldn't yeah. see second time or third time parents coming in with a birth plan. But yeah. tell us about your yeah. birth plan. <laughs> yeah. So so I there weren't a lot of components to my birth plan. The major thing was that I really wanted to have Zoomer at home. Um and for two main reasons. Um my two youngest sisters were born at home and so I got to be a part of that and and Can I ask, just, is that a Mormon thing? Do Mormons like having babies at home? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like it is definitely a Mormon thing and it's probably a Mormon thing. I mean, I, I don't know, generalizing here, but like Mormons, you know, generally have quite big families. Like I'm one of five children. Mm. And, and so I wonder if it's just like by the last two, you're just like, there's no time to go to the hospital. This thing, <laughs> you know, like we're having a baby here it's coming in out the stat. living room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very like, big midwife community right like yeah yeah so so lots of people have babies at, at home and so that was a part of my growing up like my mom had these two you know like my two sisters at home I just knew so many people who had had babies at home and had had really positive experiences and so I loved that idea of being able to do that and just being at home and then I mean a, another big reason of why I wanted to have Zoomer at home is because like being a first-time parent being a you know first-time gender creative parent not having any you know role models who I could talk to about this I just was really um nervous about the hospital of just like I I don't want like 
dozens of people like in and out of this room. I don't, you know, like I don't want dozens of people like knowing about us, othering us, talking about us, you know, behind closed doors. Like I just didn't want that. But Zoomer was breach. You know, so I had been like taking the classes of like the unmedicated home birth classes and everything. <laughs> and and I remember going, I had the best midwife. She was just wonderful. I had found the best doula. I was so excited about this home birth. And then um Zoomer was breach. And when I was like Zero was always breach. It was just like any time the midwife would do like a little ultrasound, like a little peek inside, like zero was just always breach. And so um, a month before my due date, I, I remember being like, okay, so like, are you bringing the, you know, the birthing pool over to our house? And my midwife was just like, we are not allowed to, it is illegal for a midwife to try to deliver a breech baby, you know, like at at home, we we cannot do that. And so um, she was like, you need to try to get Zoomer to flip if you want, you know, to have this home birth. And so for like the last month, I mean, I would say probably the last like three weeks of my pregnancy to, I don't know, two or three weeks of my pregnancy, it was just like, the Olympics of trying to get Zoomer to turn. It was like moxibustion, acupuncture, swimming. I, you know, tried to get it like an ECV where, you know, the external cephalac version where they're actually trying to like manipulate Zoomer with their hands. And it was like not happening. And, and such an important lesson, I think, because I remember like a couple weeks before my due date and this doctor was, you know, who tried the ECB was like, I can't, you know, you can't get baby to flip. And so you've got two options, you know, uh, he was like, you can absolutely like give a vaginal birth a go, you know, <laughs> and, or, or we can schedule a cesarean. And I, I, you know, I'm a stats driven person. And I said, okay, so how many first time birthing folks um, who have a breech baby attempt a vaginal delivery and then end up in like an emergency C-section. And he was like about 50%. And I was like, I don't love those odds. So I, cause I just, I just had this like terrible feeling of like, well, what the hell do you do? Like if, you know, a part of baby is out. It just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't. It ain't couldn't. pretty. It ain't pretty. Have no breached babies vaginally before. Yeah. No. Not all, and I was not just always. like, mm-hmm. I was like, no, like I don't need this. And I think, you know, I mean, I feel really lucky that like I never, none of, like my pregnancy never through my pregnancy was, was I tapping into some divine feminine core. That was not happening, you know, like, and I think that that was actually just such a gift for me. And like, that's kind of been a part of like my gender journey. Anyway, it was just, was like, the goal is to just get this baby out of me like safely and, you know, for like both Zoomer and me. And so we scheduled a cesarean section and I remember like looking at the calendar and my, my due date was March 19th. And the doctor was like, you just tell me, you know, like a day around there, you know, when, when it makes, you know, where you want to come in and we'll schedule it. And I remember looking at the calendar and seeing that 
March 20th in, you know, the Northern Hemisphere was the first day of spring. And I just was like, that seems like a great day to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, like messaged this doctor and was like, you know, could we do it on, you know, March 20th? And he's like, you bet. And, and so that was such a whirlwind, you know, to go from eight months, eight and a half months of preparing for a home birth to just like one and a half weeks to prepare for like major abdominal surgery, going into a hospital, right? Like it was a lot, but I don't know. There was just this, this major sense of surrender, you know, for me of just like, I, this is so out of my control and I just have to like go into this with just like good spirits and like do what I can and do the proactive education. And so in hindsight, it's just like, well, shit, I wish I would have known that I was going to be having a baby in a hospital because then I would have had all of that time to educate, right? Like my provider and the birth team and figure out what was going to be going on at the hospital to make sure that I could make it like a space that was conducive to gender creative parenting and advocate for parents who would come after me and you know but I had like 10 days and so you know I'm writing an email to a doctor I don't really know to try to explain gender creative parenting and 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 I sent that the night before you know the c-section and when we got to the hospital I didn't know if the doctor had gotten that email and I just was like here we go. Like I can hear, you know, the nurses talking about like, where are the boy beanies? Where are, you know, the Mm. girl beanies? Where is this? Like, you know, everything was just so gendered, you know, and, and I just hadn't had the time to like research that, you know, and be able to figure it out. So, um, but then the doctor came in and, you know, just, you know, not long before I was meant to go into the operating room and, and he said, I got your email. And we will be very discreet about the bottom bits. <laughs> like very cute, you know. And I was like, oh, I was like, thank you, you know. And and I was like, I am very grateful that you are like not acting like we have this bizarre request, you know. And he's like, oh, Kyle, like I have had like dad stripped down naked in the OR. This is not the most bizarre thing I've heard. It was so funny. (laughs) But he was so wonderful. And, and then he had done what he didn't need to do. He had, I I kind of found this out through going through it. Like Brent walked me to the operating room and like kissed me goodbye. And he was going to be able to come in in a few minutes, but like I needed to go in and get like the uh, spinal. And, and so the anesthesiologist is, you know, like, you know, putting my spinal in and, and, he says, you know, I hear we're welcoming a free spirit into the world today, you know, and it was just like, I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't imagine, you know, I was just like, oh my God, like they are rallying for me, right? Like they have known me for, I've just been in this system for just a matter of days and I'm making, you know, this request that I have been stressed about for, you know, nine months and, they were just so loving and so kind and so supportive and, and everyone was trying so hard and like all of this like advocacy was happening behind the doors, like the nurses, you know, who would be in charge um, when the next nurse would come on shift, they would tell them about us, you know, like, you know, this baby, like we're using they, them pronouns for this baby. And, and so it was just beautiful to be on this receiving side of 
so much like allyship, mm. you know, and, and it was really, really positive. And I know that is not the case for everybody. And also like at the time, like I was totally living like a cisgender experience and Brent and I looked like we were in this like hetero, you know, appearing, um, relationship or white we're middle class we had insurance right like we just had we're like oozing with privilege and so I know that that is not the experience for everybody but it just felt so good to have um these people rallying you know to just make sure that it was um the type of birth that we wanted right and like and that felt good and I actually felt like I couldn't really have much of a birth plan because I felt like this part is so important to me and it is such a huge ask. I feel like that I am not going to ask for shit. Like, you know, I mean, and and that's kind of, you know, I mean, like I had a few things of like, well, we're having a C-section and like, I'm aware of some, you know, whatever stuff that's going on about like milking the cord or whatever, but like, you you know, but I was just like, just y'all are going to do whatever you need to do, you know, just, so it was, it was, I didn't ask for that much. I wasn't like, and Enya needs to be playing and I'm going to have like a lavender oil, <laughs> essential oil diffuser. And we're going to do this. And like my, you know, I need to be East face. Like I just, I just was like, the most important thing to me is that Zoomer is healthy and, you know, everyone is safe. And that if we cannot like bring this baby into a world of sexism right away, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, uh, it sounds like great um, customer service that they gave you. And, and it reminds me a lot of America. One of the things I really like about the States is is amazing, generally customer service. Um, mm. And this, I think the things that you were asking for were not really huge things, but obviously they were in your mind though, weren't they? They were. They were because the whole industry, it just was so, it is so gendered. It is so, you know, like – it's such a gendered thing. And so there were just, there were just these milestones through my pregnancy where, you know, talking to like the ultrasound technician, you know, who's just like, okay, do you know, like making this big deal. And I was like, I don't like, you're going to show me some genitals and that doesn't tell me like what career my child is going to have or what, you know, like what interests, like, so there were just a bunch of components and like you're on these apps, you know, and it's like, are you having a boy or a girl? Like, you know, just like every step of the way, like through pregnancy, it's a very gendered experience and a very hetero experience. And, you know, so it's just was like, I think as a queer person and as someone who was kind of like at the beginnings of kind of like a gender journey, I just was very mm-hmm. cognizant of that. I really yeah. like the way you, um, you know, help enlighten people by the RaisingZoomer.com website and, um, you know, help educate people through your Instagram page. I also really liked your birth announcement. Uh, can you tell us more about the birth announcement? Yeah. So we sent an email to like our community, our coworkers, our friends, our family, like, you know, the people who are nearest and dearest. We sent an email. We like, I think the day after Zoomer was born and, you know, announcing Zoomer's birth and, you know, with this, like the typical things of like the time Zoomer was born and, you know, this is Zoomer Coyote and, and 
you know, the length and weight and all that. And then we just, you know, kind of a short and sweet message of like, we're just, we're not assigning a gender. We're going to wait, you know, and just let Zoomer tell us who they are. And we're going to use they, them pronouns. And um, we've created this blog, you know, to try to help explain our parenting decision, if you'd like to learn more about it. And it was just very like, kind and loving, you know, and just like, you know, let us know if you have any questions. But like, for the most part, like, we think our kid is going to be so much cooler because they get to like be in this village with you. And, and, and so that was, that was nice because I think we had kind of told, like we had told who we needed to tell in person, right? Like, or, or over the phone, like we had had in-person conversations with like our parents and our siblings and our best friends, but I had like just started a new job and I was like, as if (laughs) if I'm going to be like, hello. I mean, I started a job when I was like eight months pregnant and I just, I was able to kind of like bask in that, like, we're going to be surprised. Right. You know, people are like, Oh, that's so brave of you. Um, And so, yeah, like that just went out to our coworkers and it was just, it just took the, the edge off of right of having to have like a hundred conversations we were able to just kind of do the birth announcement through our friends and give them a little bit of information about gender creative parenting with you know hyperlinks within the email yeah, to the I blog think that's so this, impressive you know? that's so impressive <laughs> and well I'm a very I mean I'm, I've never done the test, but I imagine I'm quite type A. <laughs> well, I guess, if, are you type A if you don't know you're type A? You know? <laughs> I would say very organized, very organized. I'm very, yes, I'm a very organized person. Yes, that's, I love it. I love some operations management. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you were going to have baby number two, would you do anything differently? So I think I would do, I mean, I, I know that I would do gender creative parenting. I would. I would definitely do so much of what we did with zoomer again like we wouldn't assign a gender um just choose all the toys all the clothes you know find a fun funky gender neutral name um i would not stress as much that's for sure right i now have that like experience of being a parent and being a gender creative parent i think that those two things combined made for a very stressful first year of parenthood and finishing a PhD and starting a full-time job, like, and being in a relatively new marriage, like, like it wouldn't recommend. So I think that there would just um, be such less stress. But I think one of the things that I would do differently as far as gender creative parenting goes is I would use all of the pronouns more. Mm. So we were very like they, them, they, them, they, them, they, them, right? Like anytime we wrote about Zoomer or talked to Zoomer or talked about Zoomer, we were using they, them pronouns for Zoomer. And I'm aware of other people who have kids who are a little bit younger than Zoomer where they use, they try to use all of the pronouns kind of um, in a balanced way. And I think that that's really cool. So like in an Instagram post about this kid, you know, it's like, we went to the zoo and he got an ice cream and then she, you know, was mm. able to like pet the starfish. And then they, yep. I think that's really, I think that that's really cool. That is um, cool. So if I was to do gender creative parent, if I was to have another baby, I would be probably just like, let's just throw all the pronouns in there and neo pronouns, right? Like Faye Fair and Zizir. Like, I think that I would have, I would do that more, but um, I think what I was able to do later in parenting of just like, as the stress kind of fell off of me, um, 
I think I would do that earlier. Like I was really afraid of like changing Zoomer's diaper in a public space because I just, I was really afraid that like we were such an anomaly that like the gender police were out there and were like gonna, you know, like tra- take a picture. I mean, Cause we had some, we did have some weird, you know, like we, we did have some weird interactions and stuff and knowing that like, um, there were so many people out there who were so against what we were doing. Like, you know, I just, I did have that kind of fear, but I, I would just chill out more. <laughs> I would have a baby at the hospital. I know that I, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have a home birth like plan. Yeah. yeah I like what you said two. about not reading the comments. I think that's a big one. Um, oh yeah. Now you did a TED yeah. talk, say Salt Lake City 2016. Um, mm. There were three takeaways. One, there are real and harmful gender disparities experienced by adults. Two, these disparities are rooted in childhood. Three, we have the power to do something about it. Now, mm. um, good on you for doing a TED Talk. Thanks. <laughs> um, most people dream of doing a TED Talk, but what has stayed with you since giving that talk? Mm. Um. That was a wild experience. Zoomer was only like five months old when I, when I did the talk. Um, and it was, it's very hard to memorize like a 14 minute talk, but, um, I think what has been so great is that, um, that talk, I'm so proud of that talk. Like I read the script now and I'm like, good on you, Kyle. Like, I don't know that I would I'm sure I would change some things, you know, about it, but like, I just am really proud of how evergreen that, that talk has been for the last, um, five years and just the diversity of who has benefited from it. So I get messages from people that are like, my professor showed me this in my gender and family talk and or class, you know, and, and we all like, got talking about it and it just makes so much sense. And I've gotten messages from families who from like couples who are using my TEDx talk to help introduce their family to gender creative parenting because it's what they want to do. Right. And it's just like accessible and short and and that it it helps it helps them right like you get over a lot of these like mythical humps of what they think gender creative parenting is going to be like and I think it helps to see like a real person who's doing it right and like a cute smiling baby but and to have to have also um I think one of the biggest perks has been to hear from people like therapists like you know gender affirming therapists or something who say I'm able to use your TED talk to to share it with parents of children who are like trans or non-binary. And these parents are freaking out. Like they think, right. Like, what are we going to do? They just, they're like, they're having, they think they're in crisis and your talk helps them realize like, wait a minute, there's parents out there who are like, gender's moot. Like, let's just give the kids some space. Let's get, you know, and, and that feels so good to me to know that like, this resource is even benefiting families, right, who who kind of become gender creative parents five, six, seven years into parenthood, you know, right? Like when your child comes out as trans or non-binary or queer, right, like this paradigm shifts with parents. And so that's just been so 
powerful, you know, to know that like it soothes some people. Um, but it's, that was a really positive experience. I'm so glad I did it. It was so hard. Yeah. (laughs) But you made it look easy, you know? know? Oh, I appreciate, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, my platinum hair looked good. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, is that really her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to look twice. I'm actually going to use your TED Talk because uh, I'm giving a lecture for University of Sydney Medical School on transgender health, and I'm oh, going great. to include your TED Talk in that. So oh, great. thanks for the well, resource. Oh, um, I, it's my pleasure. Now, what other resources can you recommend uh, people uh, access if they're interested in gender creative parenting? Yeah, there's there's a lot more public advocates, which is really, really great um, because there's more diversity in our stories. Right. So there's like um, same sex parents doing gender creative parent parenting, um, people of color, uh, disabled families like multi adult polyamorous families. And so there's a lot of people who are doing it. And on my website on kylemyers.com, I have like a resources tab and I link to a bunch of these families that are doing it and kind of like either some of the their blogs or their Instagrams or um, different interviews or things that they they have done. So my my website is a pretty good resource for being able to kind of go down the rabbit hole of that. But there's a if you're serious about doing it, like if you really want to do gender creative parenting and you're either in the like we're thinking about it and like want to get pregnant or adopt or something. Um, there's a, there's a Facebook group called parenting babies and it's a private Facebook group, but you know, people just kind of have to answer some questions, but there's like 650 people in there. And from mostly, um, Canada, the UK, the US and Australia and stuff, but like, but, but all over the place, um, Tokyo, Germany. Um, so, there's a community out there, you know, that I think people can tap into, which it's just really wonderful. People can kind of just crowdsource, you know, like they ask their questions and, and get this, you know, slew of responses from people about these really diverse experiences. So um, my book, of course, you know, in, the, in there, I think I kind of talk about a lot of different resources, but the resources are growing. There's more every year. And my last question to you, actually, no, second last question. Is your dad still officiating same-sex marriage in Utah? Yeah. 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 Your dad sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, he he is. He is really great. And my sister, she just got engaged to her girlfriend um, like two days ago. So, yeah. And and she actually said to me, and it it made me really happy. She, She was like, you know, you really like you coming out when you were 21 and like, kind of helping, you know, our parents and family, you know, understand that you're queer and get them more, you know, invested in, in the, you know, being a positive influence on the lives of queer people. She's like, it really paved a path for me to have an easier life. And, you know, and it just was like, wow, well, fantastic. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it, that was great. But yes, yes. Papa Myers, judge, the honorable judge Myers is still officiating same sex marriages. Yep. Now, when does life begin, Kyle? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Like I've got, I've got the answer to that one, right? <laughs> tell I've us, got, tell us. I'm very I, curious about your answer. 
I, um, I love this question. This is a big question and actually one that I think I had to grapple with a lot when in doing, um, abortion work and contraception work. Um, and I really think that life is like so much about life is in the eye of the beholder, but like, um, I believe that the potential for life, right, is like within us all the time, right? Like I get to talk to Zoomer about, he ta- he, he wants to know a lot of times of like, when he sees pictures of me before he was born, he wants to know like, was I in your belly? Was I, was I just in your egg? You know, like, right. So to him, he's like, I've been with you all along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that that's really quite sweet. Right. And I think that like, I get that, like sometimes in the abortion and like pro-life or anti-choice or anti-life, whatever, like the, it gets so complicated. Right. And people are really trying to come up with this answer of like, no, no, no. Like it's viability. It's this 22 weeks. It's this, it's that it's conception. It's blah, blah, blah. And having now being a parent, right. And knowing how hard it is and everything. Like I believe that when I, when I got pregnant, like there was just this wonderful potential for life, you know, there with, with Zoomer being like a blastocyst, you know, Mm -hmm. and just like every day that potential for life grew and grew. And I kind of think about it just of like everything with like seeds and plants and right. Like there's just, there's so much life and energy around us, but it's something that was so wild to experience as a pregnant person is, and someone who really wanted this baby and this pregnancy, I remember talking to this wonderful midwife and I was like, I was like late first trimester. And I was like, I wanted this baby. I tried for this baby. And like, I'm having such a hard time, like bonding with this, you know, like life inside of me, you know? Mm. And, and she, she was like, yeah, you have a maybe baby. You know, like, like she's like, you're, you have a maybe baby and you're like in this space that a lot of us are go through, even when we really want a baby where you're just, that's a lot of big emotions and transitions that's happening. Right. And like this individuality and this, and this, and, and so, yeah, I think like we all probably have a very different idea of when life begins, but I think for me, I just feel like so much about us is just bustling um, with life, with these pieces of life, right? I guess Mm. like these puzzle pieces that life that like then need different variables to be able to come together. So um, I know that that is like a very meta and not like totally like to the point answer, but I think it's also because I've just been embedded in, contraception and abortion mm. work for a really long time of just like yeah, it's know. almost like life has no start or end in a way uh, yeah i kind of believe that you know of just like we're all just these vessels of stardust aren't we mm. like it's just you know like it takes these different things to to happen and that and, I, and i'm so pro-choice that you know to me it was just like i we, we get to make decisions, you know, like for us, you know, for ourselves. And, um, and 
I would make those, you know, like I would make those decisions if I needed to. And I just, I, but I do remember just, I remember like the day that I found out I was pregnant with Zoomer and it was just like life changing, you know, like just your brain, like it just like taps and just, just tapped into something different mm. in my brain of just like, I can't believe I'm growing a human inside of me. <laughs> it is mind boggling, <laughs> isn't it? It is. <laughs> Now, do you totally. have any um, any last minute comments for our listeners before we clock off? Well, this was a fantastic conversation, and I hope that I hope you got what you wanted, and I hope that it can be um, useful, you know, to your listeners and and stuff. I just my I mean, my last my parting words are always just just be kind, <laughs> be loving. Right. And like, I don't know, this like wild ride that is life is such uh, just such a bonkers gift. And it just feels really, really good to like, um, be a part of this movement, this gender creative parenting movement. And I hope that something resonates, right? Like I'm not telling people what to do at all. Um, I do not have all of the answers, but I just, my main thing is just I really hope that that people can lean into their curiosity, right? And kind of like mm. second guess some stuff that we've been that we've been taught and and lean into um really trying to figure out what kind of world we want kids to be able to grow up in, right? And that and that can be some some hard challenging work, but I think it's really worth it. Yeah. Kids that then become adults. Yeah. And hopefully ones we like. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing everything, Kyle. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Dr. Kyle Myers, that it's opened your mind to gender and gender-creative parenting. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help or inspire them. Tell them about her book. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel, and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous.